0: This is Science Moab, a show that explores southeastern Utah and the Colorado Plateau through the minds of local scientists. I'm your host, Peggy Hodgkins, and today we're talking about water in the desert, where it comes from, where it's going, and the massive reservoirs it fills.
1: I just think that we're really in trouble now. We've waited too long to start really moving at the level we need to move. And so I'm doing everything I can to talk about this problem and to try to inspire decision makers uh, to take the action that's needed.
0: That's Brian Richter, a water expert, author, and president of Sustainable Waters. His work focuses on who uses water and how water availability will change in the future. I spoke with Brian in the fall of 2020. So please make note that all references to this year are referring to the year 2020. More than
1: 90% of all the water that flows through the Colorado River comes from snowmelt in the Rocky Mountains, and particularly in Colorado. So the biggest user by far is irrigated agriculture. They take about half of the river, and then cities take another quarter, and then the remaining quarter goes, part of it goes to Mexico, and then part of it is lost to evaporation, evaporation from the big reservoirs, as well as evaporation from the river channel itself.
0: With the biggest users, like agriculture and big metro areas, is there any movement to curtail this usage?
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's actually been a lot of progress in trying to reduce the amount of water being used from the Colorado River. There was a really important agreement that was reached um, earlier this year, actually, particularly in the lower part of the river basin. So I'm going to refer to the lower basin as the states of Colorado, Arizona, Nevada. And those three states reached an agreement among them that basically said that if the reservoir levels, and specifically in Lake Mead, if Lake Mead level continues to drop, as it has been over the last couple of decades, then they will voluntarily curtail the amount of water that they're taking out of of the river system to try to stabilize the lake level in Mead.
0: Both Lake Mead in Nevada and Lake Powell in Utah and Arizona are facing water shortages due to overuse of the Colorado River and the overall reduction in yearly snowpack due to climate change. At the beginning of 2021, Lake Powell was at 41% of its capacity. Why should we be so concerned that, the lake, that lake Powell levels uh, continue to fall to all-time lows?
1: We should be concerned because Lake Powell serves three really, really important benefits. One is that it's really important in generating electricity called hydropower from the dam, from Glen Canyon Dam, and that power is important to providing electricity throughout the southwestern United States. So that's one really important reason. Another is that Lake Powell is really important to tourism in the region, Um, primarily focused on lake-based recreation, like boating and water skiing and that sort of thing. And of course, as the lake goes down, those recreational opportunities are impacted by by that as well. But by far the biggest concern is that if Lake Powell drops by another 85 feet, and just to give you some reference, the lake level dropped by more than 30 feet just this year. So if the lake level drops by, by another 85 feet, the lake level will drop down below the hydropower outlets that are in Glen Canyon Dam. And so what that means is that all of the electricity production out of Glen Canyon Dam will will stop because the water won't be able to flow into those hydropower outlets. But even worse is that it means that it will become physically impossible to move enough water from Lake Powell downstream through the Glen Canyon down into what we call the lower basin states, California, Arizona, and Nevada, to provide for their water needs, for their water uses in those states. And if we end up in that situation, if there's not enough water being released from Lake Powell to the lower basin, it's going to, of course, cause um, an emergency crisis in those states because they won't have enough water for their cities and their farms. And in response to that crisis, it's almost certain that they will issue a protest um, a protest that's called a compact call in reference to the colorado river compact that was written in 1922 and that compact call specifies how much water the upper basin states colorado utah wyoming and new mexico have to release from the upper basin meaning out of lake powell in order to provide for the water needs in the lower basin And so once you have that compact call coming from the lower basin, it's gonna then force those states in the upper part of the basin to drastically reduce and very rapidly reduce their water use so that they won't be in violation of that compact call. And remarkably, one of the first users, some of the first users that are going to get cut off in that scenario are the big cities. So City of Denver, Colorado Springs, even Albuquerque, because they have lesser priority rights uh, to the water in the Colorado River system, they'll be the first to get curtailed. They'll be the first to get cut off. And so we really don't want this cascade of actions to happen that all start with Lake Powell dropping to too, too low of a level.
0: So, In reference to that drastic drop in Lake Powell, you had written that in just five years, from 2000 to 2005, Lake Powell actually lost 12.8 million acre feet in capacity. So basically, visually, that's more than a hundred foot drop across the entire reservoir in just five years. Why? Why would the water go down so drastically in just five years?
1: Well, to start with, those were some of the driest years in the historic record. So there was a lot less water coming down the river during those years. And yet, at the same time, the people in the upper basin, the water users in the upper basin, continue to use the same amount of water. And then remember that they also have to send a specified volume of water downstream. And so with less water coming into Lake Powell, and being forced to release a set volume of water to the lower basin states, that caused the water level, the volume of, of water in Lake Powell, to drop very, very quickly and very drastically.
0: And can you explain how climate change, temperature, uh, et cetera, has intensified this kind of problem?
1: More than 90% of the water in the Colorado River comes from melting snow in the Rockies and particularly in Colorado. so instead of slowly melting and draining into the river, the snowpack is now evaporating to a much greater extent because of the warmer temperatures. And so climate scientists are now estimating that during the past two decades, that effect associated with climate warming has caused the river flow to decrease by about 10%. Could
0: this happen again? I mean, if there's were only 85 feet from... Uh catastrophic level in Lake Powell. Could this happen again?
1: Well, it can, and in fact, the climate forecasts are that if you look at a couple of decades, say out to the year 2050, that we should expect something on the order of 20 to 35% less water to be coming down the Colorado River. So that's gonna make all of the problems that we're talking about much, much worse unless we figure out ways to adapt.
0: And are we? I mean, what is being done to maybe balance out some of this? We simply have
1: to reduce how much water we're using. Um, It's as plain and simple as that. Um, The good news is that the big cities have been doing a terrific job in reducing their use, um, and they can do more um, so they can continue to to lower how much water they require out of the Colorado River. But now it's also time to substantially reduce how much water is being used for farming. And we need to reduce the water that's being used for farming by at least 10%. And that number is going to be greater as the climate warms, because there'll be less water available. So right now, we need about 10% less water use in in irrigated farming, and it's going to get more as climate affects the river flow.
0: So back to the the 1922 compact that more or less dictated how much water the upper basin gives to the lower basin, then in turn gives to Mexico, et cetera. So what, if anything, is being done to address the policy that was written at that time behind Lake Powell and Lake Mead discharges, given what we now know? The single
1: most important thing in the Colorado River Compact is the clause that divides the water in the Colorado River between the upper basin states. And again, that's Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, and Wyoming and the lower basin states, which is California, Arizona, Nevada. But more specifically, the Colorado River Compact, again, it was written back in 1922, it specified that the upper basin had to make sure that they were sending a set volume, a fixed volume of water downstream for the lower basin to use. And the good news is that some of the states are doing an excellent job to reduce their use and to make the risk of running out of water lower. In particular, the lower basin states, California, Arizona, Nevada, have made firm commitments to use less water. If there's less water in the river system and Lake Mead is going down, they've agreed in a very formal way to use less water between each of those three states. But the really critical problem at this point is that the upper basin states, unfortunately, haven't made any progress at all in reducing their use. There's been a lot of talk about the need to do so, but there hasn't been any action yet.
0: There's no talk about actually redoing the compact that would adjust the amount of water that needs to be distributed.
1: You know, there's a lot of people who speculate about how that can be done, or in fact, even assert that the Colorado River Compact may need to be thrown out entirely and and we need to start all over. But the likelihood of that happening is very, very slim. I'd say virtually uh, not a chance. Mm. And the reason for that is that we have built up so many rules and regulations and, and administration around around the Colorado River Compact and other aspects that govern how the water gets allocated that it would be extremely disruptive to change the basic contents of the Colorado River Compact in any fundamental way.
0: Instead of totally rewriting the 1922 compact, minor adjustments have started to be made within the Colorado River Basin, such as changing the agreements about how the water stored in Lake Powell gets balanced with the water stored in Lake Mead, or having states agree to voluntarily reduce their water use. There's also been some movement around what is referred to as demand management or simply water conservation. The idea is to incentivize people to use less water by financially compensating them to do that, particularly with farming communities.
1: So if there's farmers in an irrigation district that are willing to raise their hand and say, I'm going to help figure out some way for me to use less water on my farm. And in return, they would receive financial compensation for doing that, a financial reward for doing that. And. This has been piloted and has been done uh, success in a number of different places throughout the basin, but particularly in the lower part of the basin, particularly in Arizona and California, there have been some pretty large scale programs where the farmers were compensated for saving water so that the water could either stay in the river system or that water could be transferred to other uses, like for use in the big cities. Those are the kinds of programs that I think we can expect to see on the horizon. And again, I want to emphasize that given this peculiar situation with Lake Powell and the fact that Lake Powell continues to drop, and when it drops, it sets off that chain reaction of impacts, it's going to be particularly important for that kind of a demand management program to be implemented in the upper basin, in Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, and Wyoming.
0: So, given this massive economic, environmental, social, cultural, all these risks associated with uh, Lake Powell drying up, why do you think the levels have gotten so low before any red flags have been raised?
1: (laughs) That's a really, really good question. And, you know, I don't know what it is about human human nature that makes us so incapable of dealing with these slow-moving chronic threats threats like climate change or threats like water scarcity or even threats like the pandemic, right? That, that because it was going to move slow, or at least we thought it was going to move slowly, it caused us to be a little bit too slow to react and respond to it. And in the Colorado River Basin, during a drought back in the 1950s, we already came very, very close to using up all of the Colorado River. we've had a series of additional droughts since the 1950s over the last 70 years and repeatedly we've been using up every single drop in the river and even in some cases using more than was coming down the river in that year by taking water out of the big storage reservoirs to make up the difference. So, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, from my work all over the world, my observation has been that people don't really seem to respond to water problems until they get hurt pretty badly. I really wish that wasn't true, and I really hope the managers of the Colorado River will start acting boldly enough to avert a horrific disaster. Understandably, they're careful not to sound the alarm too early, or to spend a whole lot of money, for instance, in compensating people for using less water, unless they really, really need to, unless they're really certain that they're gonna need to do that. But now it's very, very clear that they need to do something big, and they need to do it really quickly.
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much for talking to Science Moab today with with all your uh, knowledge of water, and thank you.
1: I really enjoyed it, Peggy. Thanks very much.
0: To listen to more Science Moab episodes, visit ScienceMoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Science Moab to learn more about Richter and his recent book in our show notes. The show is produced by Christina Young, Emily Arnston, Peggy Hodgkins, Amanda Height and KZMU. If you love learning about science on the Colorado Plateau, then you need to join the Science Moab movement. Subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, get our newsletter, and donate to Science Moab to support knowledge sharing in this place we all love. Your contributions make Science Moab possible. Go to sciencemoab.org to learn more, and thank you, science lovers.